Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 134. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. After focusing six of our last seven episodes squarely on Afghanistan, we're going to switch it up a bit. In this show, we're going to go deep and wide on all things politics and entertainment and America with legendary actor and activist Bradley Whitford. But before we do, unlike the rest of the media, we will not let Afghanistan become Forgotistan. Because now, maybe more than ever, now is still a time to stay vigilant. We helped build a state, but we could not forge a nation. The fact that the Afghan army that we and our partners trained simply melted away, in many cases without firing a shot, took us all by surprise, and it would be dishonest to claim otherwise. We need to consider some uncomfortable truths that we did not fully comprehend the depth of corruption and poor leadership in their senior ranks, that we did not grasp the damaging effect of frequent and unexplained rotations by President Ghani of his commanders, that we did not anticipate the snowball effect caused by the the deals that the Taliban commanders struck with local leaders in the wake of the Doha Agreement, that the Doha Agreement itself had a demoralizing effect on Afghan soldiers, and that we failed to fully grasp that there was only so much for which and for whom many of the Afghan forces would fight. We provided the Afghan military with equipment and aircraft and the skills to use them. And over the years, they, they often fought bravely, and tens of thousands of Afghan soldiers and police officers died. But in the end, we couldn't provide them with the will to win, at least not all of them. And as a veteran of that war, I am personally reckoning with all of that. Yeah. That's Secretary of Defense and former Army General Lloyd Austin testifying before Congress this week. That was an important and candid list from Austin of all the ways that he, Secretary of State Blinken, President Biden, and Congress failed. And as we've covered at length in the last two months of this show, the failures are glaring, the failures are many, And the failures are catastrophic. Even for all the holdouts, it's now becoming clearer and clearer by the day that this was a catastrophe. And in my view, it's been one of the greatest foreign policy and moral failures of our time. It's right up there with the invasion of Iraq and the failure to address the pandemic soon enough. It's a disaster for all times. But who will be held accountable? Will anyone be held accountable ever? If they all failed so badly this time, how can we trust them not to fail again? If they missed the rapid fall of the Taliban and all the rest of it, how can we trust these same leaders to prevent an attack on U.S. soil or another attack on our capital? We can't. But Austin had it mostly right. He had it right until the very last part. In the end, we couldn't provide them with the will to win. In the end, we could not provide them with the will to win. That is where he's wrong. So wrong. It's victim blaming and it's bigotry. 
It's the kind of bigotry that Zainab Salbi described in our powerful last episode. Austin is questioning their, quote, will to win. We shouldn't question the will of the Afghans to win. We should question our own. And we should question what the hell winning even means and whether or not we should have even tried in the first place. So October is here and Afghans are still dying. Politicians are still lying. And there's no doubt that America lost our longest war in history. And now, finally, there's an admission from someone at the top that the withdrawal was a failure. But that admission is not coming from the president. It's coming from Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley. I think one of the other senators said it very well. It was a logistical success, but a strategic failure. Indeed. A strategic failure. And that strategic failure is still continuing to unfold. And it'll continue to unfold for weeks, years, and decades to come. That's the difference between a little screw-up and a strategic failure. The great American betrayal of Afghanistan is a true strategic failure. A failure of competence, a failure of morality, a failure of imagination, and a failure of leadership. But it's not yet a failure of accountability. That could still come. And maybe we'll actually get it. Senator Tammy Duckworth, Democrat and war veteran from Illinois, has said she would call for an independent investigation into U.S. involvement in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. And her Republican colleague and fellow Army veteran, Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa, concurred. She said, I think it does need to be independent, she said. Independent indeed. If there was ever a time and an issue that called for truly independent Americans, this is it. And if we want to prevent the next strategic failure, we have to understand this one. And that understanding has really just begun. But this show will be a part of it. We'll continue to demand the truth. We'll continue to demand accountability. We'll continue to demand action on behalf of our allies left behind. And we'll continue to stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And as the Taliban continue to slaughter, and as the White House continues to spin, and as many Democrats continue to defend, and many Republicans continue to grandstand, it's a price we all have to pay. The debacle in Afghanistan and all that follows is a mirror for our politics, a test for our heart, and a call to action. But it's not the only priority that needs focus, unity, and real action. Action that transcends party and transcends politics. Some priorities bleed or are pulled into our classrooms, our hospitals, our schools, and thankfully, our entertainment. This is a terrible time for American politics. But it's a golden age for American entertainment, especially American television. And especially for American television that touches on the most pressing issues of our time. From climate change, to immigration, to racial equity, 
to equality for LGBTQ people, to mental health, our television and our movies are digging in. And for many, and especially for many young people who don't read the papers, track the news, or watch C-SPAN, television and movies are the gateway into politics. And we're going to dig into all of it with a leader who's been a key part of some of the most important and impactful TV and films of our time. Our guest and my friend is back, Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford grew up in Wisconsin. He went to school in Connecticut at Wesleyan and has starred in some of the most impactful art in recent times. From The West Wing to Get Out to Transparent to The Handmaid's Tale. He shaped our understanding of politics through the lens of entertainment and earned three Emmys along the way. He's been a figure in our films, TV, and stage universe for a generation. He was also in classics like Adventures in Babysitting, Billy Madison, Scent of a Woman, and Revenge of the Nerds, too. And he's deeply involved in politics and in causes he cares about, from climate change to fighting inequality to standing up for working people inside Hollywood. Bradley's a guy who cares deeply and who knows how to throw a punch and tell a story. If you're a longtime listener, you remember his inspiring story and his powerful voice from way back in episode 27, almost 100 episodes ago. That was in the fall of 2019. If you've never heard that one, go back and check it out. He shares how he got to where he is, what he thought about the election at the time, and of course, his first car. And his last visit was one of our most downloaded episodes ever. Check it out. It's episode 27, wherever you got this podcast. But Bradley doesn't just play politics. He lives it. And he knows that this is a precarious time in American history. And entertainment and politics are merging and morphing in ways that are really powerful. And few are more powerful than the menacing, complicated, fascinating character he plays in the global phenomenon that is The Handmaid's Tale. Bradley plays Commander Joseph Lawrence, a founding father of the dystopian vision of America that is known in the show as Gilead. If you've watched The Handmaid's Tale, you know why it's so timely, powerful, and important. And if you still haven't, created by Bruce Miller, The Handmaid's Tale is a dark, fierce, riveting, dystopian television show on Hulu based on the 1985 novel by Canadian author Margaret Atwood. The story's centered on a terrifying world that exists after a second American Civil War where an extremist, totalitarian, religious autocracy has taken over most of the U.S. Women are enslaved, and the few fertile women are called handmaids, forced to have children for others. June Osborne is the central character, played by Elizabeth Moss. She's a handmaid who goes from the depths of pain and destruction to lead a rebellion. It's one of the best TV shows in history. And one of the most important, especially now. I'll talk to Bradley about the show, of course, about how Gilead is like Afghanistan and how he thinks Commander Lawrence would deal with Senators Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, 
We'll also dig into his month in isolation in Toronto, Canada, if he thought the Emmys should have been held inside during a pandemic, his Joe Biden in Hollywood story, and what he wants to clarify from his last visit to this show. It's a really good one. Independent Americans is continuing to bring you important, inspiring, and iconic Americans from all backgrounds. Leaders who are shaping what America has been, what it is now, and what it'll be in the future. And of course, we're bringing you the Righteous Media Five Eyes. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. This is a fun one, a wide-ranging one, and a candid one. This is Bradley Whitford and me, chopping it up on all kinds of shit. And of course, keeping it real. It's another powerful conversation that's about more than just politics, news, and culture. It's about America. And it's about all of us. And it's a conversation that'll give you lots to think about. And another conversation to help you stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. In Gilead, in Afghanistan, and especially in America. And no matter how you affiliate politically, this is a time for us all to stay vigilant. Just like Josh Lyman in the West Wing would want us to. Welcome to the intersection of art, entertainment, politics, and citizenship with one of the greatest actors of our time, who also happens to be a hell of a dedicated American. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 134. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the globe, we're going to shift gears a little bit in this episode. After an intense deep dive into all things Afghanistan, we're going to open the aperture a little bit. We're going to expand the conversation and bring back a friend of the show, a man I really admire, I'm a fan of, and I like, uh, a, a really insightful voice of reason on many things. And I think in a, in a very specific way, the perfect guest to have at this moment in time, and I'll talk about why, but I am very grateful and privileged and humbled to welcome back the great and powerful Bradley Whitford to Independent Americans. Well, it's great to be here. I, I, I appreciate it. So the last time we were together, my friend, was, I August, remember. It was August 3rd, 2019. It was almost exactly two years ago. And we were in person. We yes. were in the, in the Manhattan Classic Car Club. Yes, and we you, were. you brought this. I'm going to show it to the screen. Uh, and for folks listening, it is a license plate from Illinois. This is so cool that a fan gave you on your way to come meet me. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, from Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah. And I, had, I think we had big aspirations to raffle it off or something else, but it made with me in my COVID exodus. And I just frantically looked along the shelf because it was like a keepsake from days of yore and in-person days and days when Trump was still president, but from our conversation, which was awesome. And a lot has changed in two years. And I, You know, a lot has changed. And it's funny because I think about our conversation all the time. Uh, uh, and I actually had a little regret that I wasn't more uh, 
vehemence um, uh, in my uh, in my defense of uh, in my defense of the Democratic Party, actually. I, I was hoping you'd say that because I actually was because I, I was a bit surprised at the time and in kind of the, the moderation you had around that defense. And, 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 you know, times have changed and you're, you're deep in the arena. Like I love, I love having a conversation. <laughs> well, I, I feel like you're more in the arena even now than you were two years ago on many issues. I want to talk about the environment. I want to talk about your support for unions. I want to talk about um, Afghanistan and many other yes. things, but I feel like you're also deeper in the fight than you were two years ago. Does that feel right? Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, just because it's necessary. I mean, um, uh, you know, I think we all think that uh, uh, things can't get any worse and we're discovering it's, a, you know, it's a fucking Dante poem. Like if there's, there's no uh, there's no bottom. And it's a reminder that, uh, you know, I, 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 I tell young people all the time. Um, you know, there is not going to be a, a, a quick solution uh, to economic injustice, systemic racism, uh, uh, any uh, uh, any of the issue. You know, the greed that is killing the planet. Uh, it is a permanent uh, battle, and and we have to remind ourselves that we don't get a democracy. You got to make it every damn day. I am. I, 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 I get upset about the false equivalency. Like we look at the, at, at the political system and uh, it's very, very easy uh, to be cynical uh, uh, about it. I don't like the false equivalence uh, uh, about the two parties being even remotely equal <laughs> because uh, the Republican party has, um, I, I, you know, revealed itself um, as, as a party of I, I, nihilism, uh, I, 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 I don't know what they, uh, believe in anymore. Um, uh, obviously we have problems in the democratic party. I'll connect. I, 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 I want, I, I want people to, I, I think of the democratic party, honestly, like I think about a union, my union, there's a lot of people I totally disagree with in my union. There's a lot of selfish people. There are a lot of uh, uh, there are a lot of idiots, but uh, there is power in numbers. And that's what the Democratic Party is, is, uh, is to me. It's been very interesting to me that the Democratic Party has been functioning except for a couple of glaring exceptions uh, from Arizona uh, and West Virginia. Basically, you've had a kind of unity that I haven't seen from uh, people have used the example AOC to Kasich. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a, there was uh, there was a kind of unity. And uh, yes, the political process uh, uh, is disgusting. Um, I uh, I hate the way it's conducted, but the Democratic Party is, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was fighting for public funding uh, uh, for elections to get uh, money. I have a funny Joe Biden uh, money story, by the way. Um, 
Well, uh, you have you have to tell that when you oh, whenever you're ready. I'm not I'm not going to oh, let you I, just I, throw that out there and then like just not come back to it here. No, no, I will, I will. <laughs> but uh, but you know, there is one party that uh, that wants us to have uh, healthcare as a right and not a privilege. Uh, the Democratic Party wants that. Democratic Party uh, uh, wants urgently to deal with climate change. That's what's so terrifying about this moment is there's a very good chance for a lot of reasons that we are going to lose the house. The last time Mm -hmm. we lost the house, we lost it. I think for eight years before that, we lost it for 10. We don't have nothing will get done on the climate uh, uh, for a decade. We don't and we don't have a decade to do that. So. I'll get back to to the Joe Biden money story, but I did want um, I I did want to express a full uh, uh, throated distinction between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Now, I I appreciate that. I I appreciate that. And 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 I'm grateful for it. And I want to dig into a lot of that. And I think the unity that you talk about is is true and is 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 unique. And uh, and and I see it. And you know, an existential threat unifies people, right? Like in the same way, when I was in Iraq, um, a friend said to me once, an Iraqi friend said, you know, the Shias and the Kurds and the Sunnis, we all hated each other, but we were united in our hatred for Trump. And that that brought us together, right? And there is right. a unification from AOC to Kasich because of Trump, right? The like existential Saddam, threat. rather. Yeah, yeah. Saddam, yeah. Trump, right, unites people. But, um, and I want to pull a lot of that apart with you. But I also want to ask you, let's take a pause. I've been asking this of all guests since COVID hit. It has been two years. Where are you? Is this this fascinating background that is, you know, you look very, very scholarly. You're representing your Wesleyan education well. Um, <laughs> where, where are you and how are you? Um, uh, I am good. I am in Pasadena right now. It was um, uh, I'm a lucky person who had the resources to survive what was a temporary uh, work stoppage. Uh, I was able to have time with uh, I just dropped my youngest child off. Uh, at college, but my older kids were able to come back and we were able to have very precious, unstructured, you know, as a parent, when your kids are grown up, you only see them during these very self-conscious little uh, uh, sections of time. And so to really be with my kids was great. Uh, I got to go back to work on Handmaid's Tale. I spent a total of a month uh, in complete and total isolation. Uh, which was very, very uh, uh, bizarre and pathetic. I have a lot of animals around me all the time. I did not have any animals up there. And uh, I was in a a kind of a way up in a building, uh, like an Airbnb, and they had binoculars. And I realized like 11 days into being alone that I unconsciously had picked up the binoculars because I knew the Akita was going to be walked 20 stories down. So I'm like, oh, you know, the Akita took a shit. And then uh, <laughs> and then uh, uh, when I got out, I was so lonely. Uh, Toronto was really shut down. I would go to the dog park every day. Um, and uh, one one day this woman said, oh, I see you here all the time, which is your dog. And I said. Oh, none. I just, I'm, uh, 
And she, she stepped away from me like I was a, a pederast at a, at a you know, schoolyard. Um, yeah, you're a creeper. Uh, you're you're a cre- you're a creeper at 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 the uh, as yeah. a guy who who is you know had a, a few roles where you play you know creepy people. Yeah, yeah um, I can, you know I, you're I, kind I, of pl- playing into typecast there, being the creepy guy at the playground, right? Yeah, just hovering, <laughs> hovering. Yeah. Um, uh, but basically, uh, uh, I feel I, I, if you ask me how I am, my kids are good. Um, uh, I'm in love with my wife. Um, I, I, I had this moment. It really made me my, uh, this year I'm doing, uh, some writing. Um, I get to act on stage, which I haven't been able to do in a little bit. Um, I get to act uh, in a series that I love and a fascinating role. Um, I got to produce a documentary Adi, about Adi Barkin, uh, and I and I'm going to get to uh, direct an episode. So I should just shut the fuck up. I am. I, I made a joke. Somebody told me this was a dangerous joke. I I don't think it is. But um, if you look up. <laughs> white privilege in the dictionary the definition is my headshot i mean i am a lucky motherfucker uh, i i i appreciate all of it including the dangerous joke um and and i think i hope you're writing i was going to say when you're stuck up in this in this tower uh i damn sure hope you're writing or that someone's capturing that because that's a hell of a screenplay and your insights are going to be powerful but you you have a lot of work going on right like my like, kids are gonna... it, it, it was like a midlife crisis room adaptation <laughs> of the movie room <laughs> they, look there are a lot of agents who are going to take notes on this and be pitching this shit to you immediately afterward right screenwriters right. and everything else nobody yeah. wants to watch anyway yeah, go ahead I, I think people want to watch anything you're doing but to that point my kids are going to be excited that you're playing scrooge you're work you're working with Lin-Manuel miranda on a new project uh, Handmaids is awesome and continues to be really important. And I want to ask you to pull apart some of that along the way. But I want here's why, why, why I wanted to have you on right now. I have been talking about how the Taliban and what could be the nation state of the Taliban is the closest thing we will see in real life to Gilead. And since I'm talking to Commander Lawrence, we're in this period where literally people are entertaining having Commander Lawrence or the Taliban represent the nation at the UN. We have, you know, women who are being oppressed, women who are being killed, women who are being put into essentially uniforms. And we're seeing what I think might be the most oppressive regime in modern times and the most dominant regime in modern times with regard to their control over women. I've called it a war on women. I talked to Zainab Salbi last yeah. week. Um, and so it feels like to hear that you know the State Department is negotiating with the Taliban, it's like negotiating with Gilead. And similarly, there are Junes inside Afghanistan right now that are Absolutely. fighting, that are surviving, that are going to ground, that are doing what they can to survive a war against them as a gender. Many other folks as well. So I, I had to have you on to talk about that. Like, what is your perspective on that, given the parts you play, of course, and then the specific part you play, but given all the other political understandings you have as well? And not to be a defender of the Democrats, but why aren't more Democrats pissed off about this? Why aren't more Democrats mobilizing against this? And they would have if it was the Senegal, if it was the former Yugoslavia, if it was somewhere else and it wasn't us. I feel like Democrats would be asking for intervention. But there's this unique moment in time where many Democrats are saying, 
it would have happened anyway. And women are going to be hanging from cranes. So that's a lot to throw at you. But that's really why I thought this timing of talking to you would be really interesting. So what are your thoughts on all of that? Well, uh, you know, some of the things we struggle with, uh, uh, you know, one thing I think the show gets right is that um, uh, right wing, uh, I usually describe it as right wing uh, nationalist groups, uh, you know, misogyny is at the reptilian brainstem. Uh, it's not a bug. It, uh, it's 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 the feature. And it's fascinating how in any oppressive regime, controlling women is job number one. Um, uh, uh, and on the other side of that, there is nothing you can do to help a society more. And there's a lot of data to back this up than by investing in educating uh, in in uh, in educating young women. Another thing we go through that that we deal with in the show is um, uh, Bruce Miller, our writer uh, and showrunner. Uh, you know, the show has been accused of of uh, uh, you know uh, kind of glorifying the suffering of of women in in. Um, and he always has a list that he, he's like, uh, there's nothing that happens on the show that is not happening somewhere. The, you know, he'll have a list of, you know, women who were hanged in, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, um, North Korea, um, uh, you know, and part of what the show um it extends the suffering because these systems are intractable. It's it's not like somebody has an epiphany and cleans it up. North Korea has been there for a long fucking time, you know. Uh, um, and so I think the show tries to capture how, you know, how difficult it is when uh, when some sort of governmental, you know, I, I, it seems to me that there is a very sloppy assumption that the Taliban uh, will be forced to be more reasonable. Um, and I am personally, you know, entirely suspicious yeah. uh, 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 of that. I, I find it very bizarre that uh, we are not as upset in our own country about the about the laws in Texas. You know, I keep saying, like, if you believe uh, that life begins at, at, at conception, at conception, then then why aren't there laws being proposed by these anti-choice people to make sure that the moment there's a pregnancy, this child becomes an American citizen, first of all? Uh, that the man uh, has permanent financial responsibility for this. It's such a tell of uh, that, that the point of it is not uh, the sanctity of life. The point mm. of it is punishing and shaming uh, um, women. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I think um, uh you know, I, clearly this administration, I, I'm interested to know what your response 
uh, was to the, to, to the pullout in Afghanistan and and the obvious sort of clusterfuck at the end. And what what do we need to do now for all of these people who got out, who are stuck in uh, with a designation of humanitarian parole and need to be put into um uh, a real, uh, tr- uh, you know, immigration track. Part of the problem. Let me go back to uh, uh, my my disgust. I won't even say hatred. My disgust with the Republicans. The Republicans don't want to fix the immigration system. The, the the Republicans want to keep the immigration system a clusterfuck because it's a winning issue for them. Hmm. Uh, uh, and on the one hand, they'll say, oh, these, uh, um, you know, these these, you know, these drug cartels, the caravan of criminals. On the one hand, they're all criminals, which they're not. Right. Um, uh, and they're even trying to do this, of course, with, uh, you know, our Afghani allies uh, that, you know, they see that as an issue. But what we need to do for these people now, it was a difficult thing for me to understand. My understanding was uh, everything, everything collapsed uh, a lot quicker than they thought. Uh, there are people who desperately needed to get out. Uh, who, and it takes a long time, sometimes years, uh, uh, for Afghanis to sort of apply for the track to citizenship. So they were given this thing called uh, humanitarian parole, which leaves them in a kind of limbo. Right. And, right. Um, and yeah, even the even the ones that weren't in limbo, even the ones that were supposed to be in the easy pass lane couldn't get out. I mean, they, they got out. I think it was 40 Americans yesterday. So they're not even you know, we haven't even gotten all the Americans out yet, much less SIV visas, much less other folks behind the line. So I think, you know, I've I've been extremely critical. I mean, I think the further we dig into it after the hearings this week with General Milley and and Secretary of Defense Austin, I think we're seeing the full scope of the catastrophe. And I think now it is one of the the greatest foreign policy disasters of our modern time. I think about Iraq. I think about the beginning of response to COVID. And I think this is so much bigger than people appreciate. And I think, you know, that that humanitarian component, I think it's a fight of our time. I think we are not saving women right now. And I use I use The Handmaid's Tale as, as an example, because I think there are some folks who really don't understand. They say, oh, we can negotiate with the Taliban. OK, negotiate with Gilead. Right. Like I have to get a pop culture reference to help people understand how right. pure the, the enemy is and, and how consistent they have been. They say they say what they're going to do and then they do it. They might middle with the words a little bit lately, but they're still the Taliban. And so, you know, I think about your show, right? And all the different ways June could have gotten out, right? And how many people helped her along the way. And when she gets out, the feeling she's having, I really think it's a powerful vehicle to create a conscience call in America for people who don't understand that this is still about right now. It's right. not just about August. It's not just about the people we've gotten out. It's about the numerator, which is the number of people we've gotten out. But it's also about the denominator and the number of people we've left behind. So that's where I'm actually trying to draw that connection, especially with Democrats and and, and liberals who seem to be, you know, frankly, more OK with this or more apologetic for Biden on this, in part because they say if you criticize Biden too much, you're going to get Trump elected. But we've got to have it out on this. And I think Biden is is over a barrel. 
I don't think he's been truthful or if he has been truthful, he hasn't been competent. And he was either, you know, either he knew it was going to be this bad and he blew past it or he didn't know. Either way, they're wrong. And finding out this week from General Milley and others that they didn't anticipate the speed. They didn't. It's like saying you didn't see the hurricane coming when everybody was broadcasting it for months. I mean, there were plenty of informed sources. So I worry about this moment. Where, right. where partisan is kicking in on many sides, but Democrats, too, are, are kicking in and they're, they're defending their guy and they're, right. they're going to take it to the mat, you know, because they don't want him to lose. But it's so much bigger than that. And, and, and that's why I think I'm trying to figure out a way to connect the humanity. I'm glad your show is graphic because Afghanistan is much more graphic than that. And oh, we don't yeah. see it. And, and so Handmaid's Tale might be as close as we get to seeing how people are being treated in real time. And it's it's powerful and it's important and it's timely. And I, I want to help use that vehicle to communicate the urgency of this fight. It's a war on women. Yeah. And, 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 and it, is, it, is, it is now a nation state that could be recognized despite its war on women and despite what right. it continues to do. So I think it's a great example of how your work you know, is really crossing over. A lot of your work has done that. Um, and I, so I, I want to ask you, you won. The only difference is uh, you got shot at and uh, I wear makeup. But yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, but you know what? But but you know, let's let's take you know, if you look at the work you've done, we've talked about this last time you were on the show. But with the West Wing and with Handmaids and with so many other things, you know, for many people, you know, they know politics through you, right? And they understand, and maybe they follow you on Twitter. You can be a, a, an on ramp for them. You can be a translator for them. You can be a door opener for them, and that's really important. But you're also in the fight. Like, you know, you were at the Emmys. You've won three Emmys, um, you know, the COVID response and having all these celebrities sitting in a room, you know, there, there's some folks who are saying, hey, you know, the Met Gala feels off. The Emmys feel off. Um, you've been outspoken, I think, in, in many ways, but you were outspoken about that. I mean, any additional reflections on on the Emmys, Emmys in the Emmys in a time? Like, yeah, I mean, well, I, think I, every, I think everybody was. Uh, uh, first of all, they were very, very careful um, uh, in terms of uh, multiple tests leading up one, uh, you know, one the day before everybody had to be uh, inoculated. They were checking it constantly, which which really like f fucked up the red carpet. <laughs> so it yeah. became like this. I think I've as I said before, it became like a steeplechase for egomaniacs. You know, I, I felt like I, I was on some, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, egotistical version of the Titanic where, where, where like first nominees only get their picture taken. You know, if you've been nominated before, get off the red carpet. Um, I thought it was going to be like the Grammys, which was like outside. And it basically was uh, you know it was a tent but uh, I, I i i i didn't know why y you wouldn't just you know uh keep it open I, it, 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 because if you watch the grammys everybody was kind of uh was there but that you know but they were clearly um clearly outside the other um uh you know horrible thing about that in, is that uh I'm, I, I'm, I'm sad. It's nobody's fault. Everybody's disc the award shows are insane. And, uh, uh, I don't blame any 
a specific person uh, in that moment for not uh, remembering to bring it up. But uh, the, uh, the Yahtzee issue is is a big issue. Um, yeah. Can we pause on that? That's a good transition. Yeah. I wanted to take you there because you like and I said, you're deep in many fights on climate change, you know, on candidates. I, I want to come back. I'm going to put a place marker. We're going to come back and talk about cinema and mansion because I just got to let you yeah. rip on that one. But you know, for people who think you're talking about a dice game, explain what what Atsi is, and you're going to pronounce it correctly, right? Like, Yahtzee. Uh, yeah, it's not Yahtzee, but uh, explain Yahtzee. about it's an important fight, I think, happening right now. My wife worked in the business for 15 years, and I see a lot of this in a strange way through her eyes because she was an agent at CAA and she represented clients. She ran red carpets. So, you know, I would usually be with her and they thought I was like extra security. So I got to see that world almost right. from a security standpoint, which was which was fascinating. But I also saw the working people of that world. And many of them yeah. are, are prior service veterans. Many of them are working people. So you've got this contrast, right, where you've got a lot of you know millionaires who were super tested and well taken care of and have endured the pandemic. And then you've got the working people of the business that, in my view, seem to be in many ways left behind. Um, right. And many of them uh, didn't listen, recover their I, jobs. I, 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 I am the first. And you're a champion for them. So I want to ask you to, to tell us, uh, tell uh, for, uh, people, uh, for people who don't know, explain yeah. the issue and why it's important. Uh, the uh, the basic issue, these are the, these are the people who work on the crew. They're uh, camera guys, makeup people, uh, hair people, um, uh, uh, all the technical people. They work their asses off in, um, you know, West Wing was was notorious for having like crazy, crazy hours. Um uh, we would, you know, a 14 hour day was a short day. Now we know what we're signing up for. Uh, we know what a privilege it is and the crew knows what a privilege it is. And this is part of the problem that leads to, uh, unsafe, uh, conditions. If you're doing a movie, um, uh, you you understand it's going to be completely insane and you have to put your life on hold. Problem now is uh, a lot of if, I think fewer movies are being made uh, because uh, series and limited series are taking off. So now you have a situation where people are routinely now as an actor, my union, we have a 12 hour turnaround. So if I uh, start shooting at uh, 7 a.m. and I wrap uh, 9 p.m., uh, there are exceptions to it, but I get I get 12 hours off. The crew doesn't get that. The crew gets uh, um, I'm not sure where the negotiation is at this moment, but at one point the producers would not even consider talking about a minimum 10 hour turnaround. Um, uh, Jane Kaczmarek, my ex-wife, was working on a movie, Pleasantville, um, and uh the camera operator had worked I, I don't know, like 18 hours, uh, fell asleep uh, and died. Uh, the long term, when you're on a television show, you would see on the West Wing after four years of this, like people would go nuts. Now, again, mm -hmm. I am protected in ways the crew is not. 
they, um, uh, on West Wing, we could never get the schedule right. Now, again, I'm the coddled actor, right? But uh, I could never, I I had a toothache and I'm like, I really, I think I need to go to the dentist. I really think I need to, you know, and they're like, "Uh, you know, we can't do it tomorrow. And and it kept, it went on for like weeks and uh, I'm flossing my teeth and like my rotten tooth breaks off. And I'm like, I should, you know, I, I make my living on TV. I look like like the kid in Deliverance. Um, but the cruise, the toll on the crew, I, I, I said to one of our producers on West Wing, I said the like a couple of years in because you could see people going crazy marriages. Uh, uh, I said the invisible carnage of the unfucked wives and the children not being read to is wafting out into the future. But there is this idea, um, uh, you know, we need to treat our crew members like the family that they are. We live with them. Um, uh, We sacrifice sacrifice a lot with them. Like the whole idea that, you know, we're we're fighting for people who often, you know, if they're driving from a, you know, from a set, they may drive an hour. I have a friend who's working in New York. He has to drive an hour to the uh, hour to the set back and forth. So he has eight hours at home and then he has another 14 hour, 15 hour day. And people won't believe this. They do not eat. They don't even have a guaranteed lunch break. Right. Right. That's, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a good reflection. It's a good reflection of, you know, how the pandemic has hit some much harder than others, right? Like, yes. you know, anybody who knows, you know, folks like you, you, you're, you're, you're at a point in your career where you can, you can withstand this, you know, but a lot of the, the blue collar people in the movie and television and entertainment industry, especially in places like New York and California are, are hammered. Right. And, they, and, and they are absolutely maybe in some ways kind of the lost part of this, because in part, people assume, you know, I think outsiders assume everybody's a movie star and they don't understand the logistical train of this. It's almost, you know, being on a film set is like being in the military. I mean, it looks like a military operation. You've got a lot of hardworking enlisted people that make things happen. And I want to just. One second. It's like having a huge wedding every fucking day. Yeah. 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 But but um, But it it, it even feels more complicated than that because it's more dangerous. Like, you know, I've been on movie sets and and worked on films before and, you know, everything from security to now COVID screening, right? I mean, it's really complicated. There's the old saying that strategy is for amateurs and logistics is for experts. And right. the logistics are the ones that make it happen. I wanted to come back and make sure that for okay, people who were wondering what the hell the Yahtzee reference was, right? Uh, oh. Okay. It's it's uh, the, it's the uh, I have to get it right here, right? It's the uh, I-A-T-S-E is, is what it stands for. Right. Yes. And it's the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. Right. And it's yes. moving picture technicians, artists, crafts, all the, the trade crafts. Right. And it goes to something that I, I've always uh, laughed about. I mean, Hollywood is uh, filled with uh, people like me, uh, you know, kind of pinko lefty, fancy yourself a humanist. And then you get on a set and it's like a 15th century serfdom, like <laughs> like yeah. like like the, the strat like if 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 um, if I stop at the beginning of a take uh, uh 
and, and I go, uh, where, where's the prop guy? Where's my fucking watch? Uh, that's fine. I, I, that's nothing will happen. If he goes, I, I put it in your fucking trailer, <laughs> you know, he's gone. And mm-hmm. now, uh, and I always, I, I always laugh about this, but now we have a situation where producers who are, I guarantee you to the left politically are making plenty of money and subjecting the people who make it possible to work in conditions that would make Jeff Bezos blush. Mm. Okay, so I'm glad we dug into that because I think people need to understand how it impacts people and how it's a part of this, especially the economic conversation and the COVID conversation, even the infrastructure conversation. These this conversation we're having, many of the political conversations intersect in that point. I want to come back to something. Tell us the Joe Biden story, because I'm uh, not going to let you off the hook on that one. Okay, so uh, um, this goes uh, this goes to the you know. I, I have a lot of sympathy for what uh, politicians have to do. Uh, we make them climb a filthy rope and they get down at the bottom and we go, hey, man, your hands are dirty. So jo, um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, it was uh, 2008 when he, he was preparing to run for president. I think I was doing Studio 60 and a friend of mine. Uh, who had uh, worked in D.C. Clearly, somebody had fallen out. Uh, Joe Biden was out here doing some sort of uh, exploratory, uh, you know, coming to the cash machine in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said, uh, would you like to go talk with him? And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'd love that. And he was fascinating and warm and bright and brilliant. Um, And uh, I... Uh, I, 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 I think I wrote a check for like 500 bucks or something or, or, or something. Um, uh, and, uh, but I thought in 2008 that Hillary, uh, uh, I thought it was time for her to be president, uh, initially. So, uh, I, uh, months later, I, it was very difficult, uh, uh, time in my life. Right after uh, the primary in Iowa, where Obama won and Joe Biden, I think, got two percent of the vote. I am hiding in my office at Warner Brothers. It's pouring rain. I think it was a weekend. There is it's a there's nobody there. It's pouring rain. And I'm writing in my office, knock on the door. I open the door. It's Joe fucking Biden with the hair and the chiclet teeth. And and uh, and and I'm like, uh, this is months after I saw him. And he's like, Brad, uh, it's good to see you, buddy. And I'm like, hey, hey, how are you? Uh, And clearly his body man saw my name on the door and said that guy donated to you. And now I'm like. Oh, shit. Like, uh, you know, he got two percent of the vote and I'm like like sort of walking him out through the rain to to the beige suburban um, and trying to get him in the car without writing another check. And he's being very sweet. (laughs) I hope I can count on your continued support. I remember pausing as the car. I got him in the car without making any promises. And I thought this is really fucking sad. This is our political system. Here is a uh, 
uh, I, I would argue a, a brilliant, experienced public servant. This is not a guy like who got rich. He does want to serve whether you disagree with uh, with him or not. And he is forced to go around Hollywood talking to some schmuck actor like, you know, like a Tupperware salesman with his hat in his hand. Mm. Uh and then he became vice president. <laughs> and I, sh- <laughs> you know, and, and, and I shouldn't think this way. Um, uh, but I thought, yeah, probably should. should you I do. You should. You should. I had a friend who ran in Wisconsin locally years ago, and uh, uh, he was running, I, I believe, for uh, a state attorney general. And the day he announced, he called me and he said, uh, I'm corrupt. And I said, why? And he said, uh, I just came out of a meeting. I have to raise $25,000 a week or I can't even compete. So my first phone call is to my friend who, you know, who got lucky in Hollywood. I'm not talking to the homeless person on the street who, uh, you know, who who needs my help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a bind. Those those people. That's right. In. I think it's it's and it's a, it's another good insight because, you know, having worked in you know, the advocacy political space for the last almost 20 years now, you know, there, there's a time when every significant candidate makes the role through Hollywood and they take the same 25 meetings or so. It's like, it's the hidden Iowa, right? Like they, you know, they go through New York and you go through the certain living rooms and especially for the Democrats and you well, almost exclusively for the Democrats. And then you go through California and, you know, and I would actually often come through behind them raising money and and would talk to some of the same people and they'd ask for my view, but I'd get their view and you could kind of see how they tested in in California. Um, and also, I would argue that there's an overinflated uh, expectation of how Hollywood will deliver in a lot of ways, but especially on money. Like Hollywood is where a lot of nonprofits and other people go to raise money and come home without shit, like a lot of promises. And the real money's in New York. Like New York is where you get executed, you know, commitments and you can raise a lot. Now, now you can raise money in Hollywood, but it's a different kind of a scene in my experience. But it's but it's a validator. And and it's important to the Democratic Party for them to have to do that. But it is pathetic. It's sad. It's like to hear them going through to know where they are. You know, sometimes I would go into boardrooms, raising money for veterans after one had come out and you see them going through that process. And I do think it's a terrible reflection of, of where we are. Um, but it's also got a lot of people, it's got a lot of people involved and I'll I'll take, you know, I think there's a new generation in Hollywood that is much more active than, you know, for just even 15 years ago when I started doing this kind of work and I would go out to LA and talk to people about issues, get them to come out for events. The next generation is much more involved. They're much more active. They're much more committed. They're willing to take risks too. Like they're willing to take risks that other people wouldn't. Well, I'll tell you an interesting thing. Uh, I am a, a I'm from Wisconsin and um, uh, Ben Wickler runs the Wisconsin Democratic Party, I think is one of the one of the most effective political operatives out there. Um, and I was I, I got all my West Wing people uh, in line and we were going to go do a bunch of stuff in Wisconsin. There was going to be the uh, um, convention there and then COVID hit. And uh, we were trying. This was something I, we discovered uh, uh, <laughs> during COVID. Uh We tried to I think we were trying to raise I, you know, I don't know, like. Seventy five thousand dollars or, you know, or 
something, a significant amount of money. And we just did a conversation about uh, West Wing, a sort of takeoff on the, on, the, on the podcast of it. And it ended up making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then we realized we ended up raising so much money. Um, do, and these things really took off. Uh, uh, at, at these sort of Zoom fundraisers. And for me, it was the best thing that we can do. I, I, I am very, nobody needs some, you know, actor with a horseshoe hanging out of his ass coming to their hometown and saying, um, uh, this, is how, this is how you should think. Uh, when political people come at me, I go, you know, I can help with uh, registration. I can help uh, you know, gets bring attention. I can put a spotlight. Uh, this was great because we got to do what what we love to do, and we got to get the resources to the people on the ground who knew who knew what to do with it. Mm. Um, uh, and they've also got a tough they've also got a tough tough rope to walk because when you're coming from a non coastal, especially congressional district or Senate race. You know, sometimes they'll come out to Hollywood and they'll do the below the radar event where they don't want to publicize because if, if Bradley Whitford wave raises too much money for them, then they're not down home enough. They're not real enough. They're not local enough. Right. There, there's especially um, I think in the moderate districts, they're careful, like they want your money, but they kind of don't necessarily want the picture with you. And and that's, uh, I think, going to be especially true as they go. Not you individually, maybe you individually, but often, you know, they want to come to L.A., come in with the wheelbarrow, you know, meet the celebrities, get the checks and sometimes scoot out before their congressional district knows they're gone and, right. and hanging out with the celebrities. Right. And, and, and whenever people get pissed, understandably, at, 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 at you know, at the, uh, you know, the political voice of Hollywood, um, I, I do want to remind people that uh, the vast majority of us are not advocating for anything that uh helps us uh uh you know we're not, we're not trying to get uh you know tax cuts or film credits um in general uh we're not doing that you know and it goes to a really interesting thing that i don't know if i've, t- I've talked with you about this i think there's uh, part of the reason uh we have minority rule in this country that's what's so frustrating is whether access to health care dealing uh, with immigrants in a, in a humane way, uh, uh, the planet, economic injustice, racial injustice, it's 60-40, if not, uh, you know, 65-35. Now, they, they have some uh, constitutional structural advantages, which we all know about, uh, but they, part of the reason we are, I think, always at a disadvantage is that the right understands that what I think is true, which is that politics is the way you create your moral vision. We tend to think it's what we do on the left. We think it's culture and culture is fantastic and necessary, but will and grace won't help you if you have a pre-existing condition. And the right, simply because I think the right in this country is basically a, uh, a business agenda disguised in social issues, uh, but it's a business agenda. Uh, so uh, it's not, an, it's not, you know, it took what happened to George Floyd 
uh, uh, you know, uh, to to we knew it had been happening before. It took us like like seeing that. And we on the left will will do the diagnosis, which is absolutely necessary, which is this tremendous outpouring uh, of protest. But we tend to not think that government is the way we don't do the treatment, which is not as um I don't want to say it's not as liberating as the diagnosis. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 ongoing uh, slogging. Um, you know, I do some stuff with Stacey Abrams and she says this wonderful thing, which is uh, voting isn't magic. It's medicine. Right. Right. Uh, right. And it's not it's not just it's not just art. It's tactics. And and there's a question of how Democrats like to lead with their values and and have their operations and strategy come second. Right. And then, like, I think Afghanistan's a great example of where the two are in conflict. Like you can say, right. you know, we're going to pull out of Afghanistan, but you're still responsible for doing it competently. You have to right. you can say, hey, we want to give everybody the vaccine. But if you can't execute it and I think that's where Biden is, is really going to be in trouble. I think that's where his numbers are down, you know, on handling the pandemic on, on Afghanistan, on competence. Right. On execution, on the ability to even do the things he said without them blowing up. But let me ask you one last point I want to get to on politics that that is related, which is you are now a voice of the Democratic Party. You're carrying the flag. You're out there leading a fight. You know, I appreciate some of your positions. I am politically homeless like so many. And I watch a landscape where Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, in my experience, two of the least impressive members of the Senate, are now in two of the most powerful positions. So let me, you've been critical of them. I saw somebody, you retweeted somebody who said, it outrages me that cinema even, even rhymes with cinema, right? <laughs> At theater, yeah. right? That was a great tweet. But um, you've got these two people. That's uh, Ed Solomon, the screenwriter uh, of Revenge of the Nerds 2. Ah, ah, Nerds ah, and yeah. that, I'm so glad I pulled on that thread. Okay, he I'm does so other glad. Things, but go ahead. Because, but let me ask you, so Kirsten Cinema, Joe Manchin, who, again, I, I think it's a valid criticism that they're not putting forward any ideas. They're not visionary. They're not even incredibly experienced in their lives. Like I've, I've met both of them. I spent time with them. Manchin was consistently the least intelligent senator I dealt with, in, in, definitely on the Democratic side. He, he could always be counted on to ask probably the most stupid non-question question every time yeah. I was in a briefing. He's the, the but, Ron Johnson of Democrats. Yeah, he really is. He really yeah. is. But let me ask you, so what do you do? Like, like, where's the primary challenger or what do you do? Are you, are you guys going to play patty cake with these two forever or are you going to you're going to push them in line or you're going to primary you, I, them? What, what like, you, if, like, like at this point, um, there is so much that we need in this. First of all, I get frustrated. Uh, we uh, we trumpet the cost of this as if. It is as if the cost is the same of the two trillion dollar tax cut for people who didn't need it. But without all the equivalency, like I know where you're going, right? You're going to make the argument, but not just what, not just the values based argument. What are you going to do about these two? Right. Like what's Commander Lawrence going to do about these two problems? Right. Because they're a problem for you all. I'll, and I'll until they're you. gone, they're, they're right. I think they're never going to uh, move. You know what they're Commander gonna, gonna, Lawrence would do? <laughs> Commander Lawrence. <laughs> Would uh, w- would uh, bring uh, uh, Mansion and Cinema uh, uh, into the office and and say how big 
a damn do you want in West Virginia? How big a highway do you want? Because uh, if you're as morally reprehensible uh, as you appear to be, um, uh, I would rather spend, uh, a, 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 you know, another 200, uh, another 600 uh, 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 billion to get this fucking thing through. Mm-hmm. I, I like it, I, I'm not for that kind of politics, but it, but at this point, if we do not deal with the climate now, uh, we're, you know, we're. Yeah. Screwed. And I, th- I think it's just it's a it's a tactical challenge that is, you know, Democrats like to play nice and they've played nice with cinema and they've played nice with mansion and it doesn't work. And the Republicans don't play nice. Commander Lawrence doesn't play nice. And I'm saying oh. this as somebody who wants to see something get done. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm an independent. Like I'm an independent who supports infrastructure. I don't think you're going to get the full Monty that that the progressives want. But these two may may blow the whole thing up to the point where we get nothing. Right. And, that, what, and that's I, part I, of what I'm what I'm really challenging Democrats to ask. Like I had Ruben Gallego on. And, and yeah. why doesn't he run against cinema? Well, he maybe thinks he can't or it's not the right time. And it doesn't have to be either, you know, Kirsten Cinema or Meghan McCain. But it seems like the Democrats, you, you bring out Stacey Abrams, a great tactician, you know, brilliant strategist. She brought this next generation. But it seems like there's this blank spot around cinema and mansion where they're just going to deal with these knuckleheads, you know, indefinitely without a focused. You talked about unity. There doesn't seem to be Democratic unity about what to do with the two of them. Well, I don't know what they, I, you know, I, I, I guess I have more sympathy because, uh, you know, they are the problem. I, I, you know, you're not going to be uh, you're not going to be able to take them out. That's uh, that, that's that, that's why I would just um, buy them out. You know, Manchin is actually actually uh, does seem uh, in some ways appeared to be good on voting rights. Um, uh, you know, he he had a a proposal that uh, that even Stacey Abrams, uh, you know, th- thought would be helpful. But if you don't get rid of the filibuster, like you're sacrificing the right to vote uh, in order to preserve the fil- filibuster out of some nostalgic fantasy for bipartisanship with a party that did not hesitate to jettison the filibuster to steal the Supreme fucking court. Copyright. Copyright. (laughs) Well, I think let let me maybe to put a bow on it like this is an area where I feel like the Republicans are losing that those states in some ways or, you know, are on the edge. And the Democrats seem to be doing their best to uh, to fuck it up. Like and, and there's this nether region where I think there could be an opportunity for an influential celebrity or wealthy person to zoom in here as a third party or independent candidate and, 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 you know, blow them both up. I mean, Arizona is increasingly independent and I think that cinema, you know, is weak in a lot of ways. And mansion also is, is in a place where, you know, well, look, no, they, nobody they, in West Virginia, no one, nobody in West Virginia is excited about mansion, right? Nobody in Arkansas is excited about Tom Cotton. It's just not enough focus on providing an, a viable alternative. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Democrats uh, underestimate uh, their ability to compete, uh, uh, you know, in those areas. But if you look at Kelly from Arizona, 
Mm-hmm. Ellie's, a, uh, I would call him a, 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 a moderate. Uh, he's not like torching. Uh, I've a, used him as an example. I think he's uh-huh. the kind of candidate they need to win. Right. We've had Amy McGrath on this show. We've had other folks. I had we had um, Pete Meyer on this show who, you know, is a moderate Republican, independent Republican. You know, some of it is about finding the right person of the right profile out of central casting, you know, talking to you. Yeah. Right. And and maybe it's a former NFL player. Maybe it's a former country music singer. Maybe it's a business person. But the Democrats have got to figure out how to get a deeper bench than like going back to Beto O'Rourke five times. Like it's it, it, there. There seems to to be a lack to use a, a line from the, uh, the 9-11 commission report, which I assigned to my students this semester. There's a lack of imagination. There's a, there's a woeful lack of imagination. And I think that, that the Democrats continue to surprise me. My friend Wes Moore is running in Maryland. There's a new generation that's coming up. But I still am, am always going to wonder, is there someone in your world? Right. They, they could come out of the darkness or out of the, out of the, the spotlights and contend and not just in those places, but in places like Kentucky. Right. Where you got Mitch McConnell, you got Rand Paul, like you've got a lot of people that I think could be vulnerable to the right kind of alternative candidate. And and, and that's yeah, I, almost I, a I, casting I, challenge more than a strategic challenge. I, I always joke about this, like uh, Trump is like exhibit a of uh, like if, if you want someone from Hollywood, uh, 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 to work in politics, don't hire somebody who's in front of the camera. Hire the line producer because they get shit done and they don't need a lot of attention. Now, I, but they're the ones that don't get elected. Like they're they're good. They're good know, once they're in the spot. But it's hard to get you know uh, you know Joe Loda, the head of the MTA in New York, elected. Right? Like he's going to make the subways run on time, but he can't win. Right. And, and that that's the challenge is, you know, for the Democrats, especially like to find people who are charismatic and who can still manage crises and who can be tactically proficient and who can get shit done. And Pelosi, this is going to be the moment for Pelosi. She always seems to find a way to get shit done. I have a lot of respect for her. I've worked with her and I may respect her most of all because she gets shit done and she's going to find a way to make shit happen. And in part because she doesn't play nice like she, yeah, yeah, she yeah. She knows She's, how to how to you know invoke a little Commander Lawrence for good, and 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 figure out how to get it done. So, uh, I will. I want to let you go. Um, let me. I, I asked you before if you will run. I, 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 let, let me hang on. Okay. Let me just let me just add one thing, which is um, from my peculiar perspective, uh, where I come from, a family is very interested in politics. I've always been interested in politics. I pick up. The, politics before the sports page when I used to have newspapers. By the way, I was on a set the other day and I'm reading the New York Times and a uh, 26-year-old actress walks by looking at her phone and goes, whoa, old school, (laughs) which made me feel like Wilford Brimley. But uh, did she think it was a prop? (laughs) Yeah, she thought it was a period piece. But it's very pathetic and... Uh, interesting to me, and it's something we need to be aware of. You can ejaculate on an intern in uh, one of the sacred palaces of democracy. You will be forgiven. You can go to war um, uh, using faulty intelligence without a plan for what to do afterwards. You will be forgiven. The death penalty in politics is reserved for 
what I worry about every day. The death penalty in politics is reserved for people who are bad on TV. It is unforgivable. Al Gore seems a little condescending. Get the fuck out. Howard Dean screamed out. It is, and it's just fascinating to me now. Or you know, and uh, Hillary, uh, Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Right, right, you, right, right. I, I, you, I, I remember meeting, uh, you know, Clinton, who, uh, who, a very interesting character. Uh, you know, brilliant, smartest guy in the room. A lot going on. Uh, you know, son of a, uh, of a, you know, kind of white trash alcoholic who has this geological need to seduce everybody in sight, including uh, uh, Newt Gingrich, which makes him incredible on television. Then you meet uh, when I met Al Gore, you know, Bill Clinton, uh, Al Gore is like, it was like, why am I meeting a fucking actor like in a great way? You know, and he gets in, 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 you know, is debating Bush and, you know, he's, he's like, well, you know, I'm more qualified. I don't have a pathetic need. And Trump, you know, this is just like a monumental. Uh, uh, their superpower is that they have no shame. What you're upset about Democrats with is that we have a little sh- they have no shame. And it's a superpower. Yeah. In, in power. Well, lately, lately, there's there's, you know, there, there's there's not a lot of shame coming out of the White House either right now. Yeah. And, that, and that's part of what's really pissing me off and many people off is Biden sounding like he's sounding like Trump. He's sounding like Bush. He's digging in. He's not apologizing for mistakes. He's sounding like a stubborn old man who who is going to go down fighting. And, and that's uncharacteristic of him. And it's part of why. You know, I've said that every politician will eventually disappoint you. And he's really disappointed me on Afghanistan and the way he's handled it. And even now, you know, he's he's laying up a a big, a big, you know, alley-oop for the Republicans when he says, yeah, all the all the commanders said I should, you know, I I didn't need to leave behind a residual force. And they said, great, which commanders? Now he's in conflict with the generals. That's out in the open. They're going to wrap that around him like the emails for Hillary Clinton. It's not going away. And I think that that he is in danger now, in part because of his stubbornness, because of his inability to do what he does best, like show empathy, be down to earth, you know, be be conciliatory at times. His inability to be himself is what I think is really jacking up his presidency and might cost him the midterms. And that's not what I want to happen. And and Trump is coming back like Revenge of the Nerds two, three, four. <laughs> He's coming back. He's coming back and he's going to be the nominee unless something happens. And we're going to see this 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 sequel uh, again soon. But now do you as a veteran, uh, uh, did you think we should stay, leave a residual force? Look, I, I speak for veterans like you speak for actors. Right. So I'll, yeah. I'll start with that. Right. Um, uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, if I had known what they know. Yes. I would have at the time I said, OK, I believe what the strategists are saying. And they say we don't need a residual force as a way for us to maintain stability right. and a strategic footprint and protect our allies. But it's clear now that that, you know, look, Biden made the call that Obama did, didn't want didn't make Biden. Right. Obama said no. Biden said, said, no, I'm going to leave a residual force. I'm going to you know, hold some level of stability. And when you pulled out all the pieces in the way that we did with such a shitty plan, it's all come apart. And it's not done coming apart. 
Right. It's a slaughter happening in there right now. And that's on our hands. And the thing that always resonates with me right now is that Biden won't own it. And that's cascading across the Democratic echo chamber where people say the war, we're done with wars. Right. While we've got troops in a dozen countries. Right. Or saying, you know, it wouldn't it would have happened anyway. There's nothing we could do. Well, you're going to find out over the next couple months. There was a lot we could do. And if only get more Junes out on airplanes. Yeah. Right. That we could have done that. And even now, Blinken and, and Biden and others are not doing enough to get enough people out who may form the resistance or at least will be fantastic screenwriters one day and great Americans. Right. right. That's that's the sin that I think is what I've called the American betrayal of Afghanistan, the great American betrayal of Afghanistan, because it's a betrayal of our values. Right. Right. Um, but right. you are upholding our values. And you are a tremendous American and a tremendous creative force. And I said this last time, but I want to say it again. I am so grateful for all that you've done to contribute um, artistically, creatively, politically. Um, the work that you've done is, is so important. And every time we talk, it becomes more and more important. So okay. I hope it's not two years until we talk again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm around. I'm available. And uh <laughs> I want to ask, I didn't, I asked you a lot of fun questions last time. Here's a final one. I didn't ask you last time. Cause I got to get yeah. your take on this. There's no third party option. You're a partisan. You got to pick one pancakes or waffles. Waffles. Why? Crust. <laughs> there it is. I'm going to leave it there. I'm yeah. going to leave it there. If you have a minute to stick around for a couple of rapid fires for our Patreon members, I sure, would love sure, that sure. if you could, but until then I'm going to hold on to this, uh, license plate and yeah I, you know what uh next time you are I'm still in, so cool man so cool next next time i'm in new york uh, we should uh i'll sign that and you should auction it off for a good cause we'll do it to support the union okay let's do it that. let's okay. do it my friend thank you for all that you do the great and powerful bradley whitford stay What's vigilant left? my friend <laughs> He's such a good dude. I love talking to him. While we don't always agree on things, Bradley's a guy I respect, I admire, and I root for every time. He's a guy who cares and a guy who puts his talent, his money, and his time where his mouth is. He's a true fighter, a true patriot, and a true helper. The kind our buddy Mr. Rogers told us to look out for. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Yes, always look for the helpers. They come in many forms. And I am always thankful for that wisdom from Mr. Rogers. And my deepest thanks to Bradley for joining me again on this show. Follow him on Twitter. He's very fun on Twitter. Definitely watch him in The Handmaid's Tale. And go back and watch The West Wing, especially if you haven't in a while or if you've never done it before. And look for him soon in lots of very cool stuff. He's going to be in Lin-Manuel Miranda's much-anticipated directorial debut. It's called Tick, Tick, Boom, and it'll be out in November on Netflix. And also, look for him in the Tony-nominated version of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It's going to be on tour this holiday season, November 12th and 13th. He's coming to Spokane, Washington, November 18th to the 21st. He'll be at the Orpheum Theater in Phoenix, Arizona, 
November 23rd through 28th. He'll be at the Smith Center in Las Vegas, Nevada, and November 30th through January 1st at the Amundsen Theater in Los Angeles, California. What better way is there to bring in the holidays than with Bradley Whitford playing Scrooge in A Christmas Carol? And also, of course, check out OTSI, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, and support them. And check out all his work in all the different media forms. My massive thanks, of course, to my family, my wife, and my two fiery boys. We all went on a little fall road trip this weekend to kick off the fall. We went to Amherst, Massachusetts. We went up on Saturday early, and we watched football. We watched my mighty Amherst mammoths lose a heartbreaker 10-7. to 7. It was a picture-perfect New England day of small college football, and it was a heartbreaking result for Amherst. They were driving with just under a minute left, down by three, in our end zone, and had a really costly interception. But you learn more from the losses than from the wins. And it was a hell of a game. And great to see football finally return to Amherst College. They haven't had a home game in two years because of the pandemic. And I'm grateful I got a chance to show my boys the game and the environment in its purest form. They've been playing football in Amherst for over 100 years. Big salute to Stick, to Coach E.J. Mills, my old friend Billy McBride, Mark, and all the dedicated and wise old-timers that are still there from my days on the field. Crank it, boys. My boys also got to really see and tear up the campus. They got to visit the little museum that has a skeleton of a mammoth and... They got to eat lots of Antonio's pizza. If you're ever in Amherst, Massachusetts, you must eat at Antonio's. Big shout out to Antonio's. Some of the best pizza anywhere. Now, I checked when I was there and I asked them that cheese is, of course, the best seller. But after that, it's an Antonio's classic that my students called CBR, Chicken Bacon Ranch. It is killer. Speaking of my students, if you haven't heard already, I am teaching a class this semester, a seminar in the political science department called Understanding 9-11. And I've been bringing in special guests from all across the country via Zoom to connect with my students and help them understand 9-11. Most of my students weren't even born on 9-11. This week, we were joined by Senator Bob Kerry, former senator and governor of Nebraska, presidential candidate and Congressional Medal of Honor recipient. He was a Navy SEAL in Vietnam. And he joined my students to share his experience and insights as a member of the 9-11 Commission. We talked about the lessons learned from the 9-11 Commission and the lessons not learned. We talked about the parallels with the January 6th Commission and whether or not there'll be a commission on Afghanistan. But Bob was amazingly generous and insightful he was also the president of the New School in New York City during 9-11. But I'm grateful that Bob could join us. We were also joined by outstanding Washington Post national security reporter Dan Lamoth. Dan continues to break big and important stories. He was in Afghanistan as recently as July. I think he's had 25 cover stories in the last month or so. And on 9-11, he was a student in Amherst, Massachusetts, just up the street from Amherst College at UMass. And Dan came through at the end of our seminar and shared his stories and wisdom with our students. And both he and Bob carry true role models for these young leaders. And I'm grateful to both of them. And if you haven't already, go back and check out episode 96. It was a special dispatch we did with Dan. He's, again, the Washington Post Pentagon reporter. 
And at that time, we were talking about the 12 National Guard soldiers that were removed from inauguration duty. We were talking about how safe is D.C. And check out his latest story in The Washington Post. It's inside the Afghanistan airlift. He breaks apart the entire final couple of days, critical days. He explores the split-second decisions, relentless chaos, and all the madness that drove that historic military mission. It's the kind of reporting Dan does all the time, and I am thankful for it. And of course, thanks to my students. They continue to push forward in a really difficult environment. And just thanks to everyone at Amherst College, at all the colleges and universities, and everywhere from high schools to nursery schools. It is still really tough to keep education going, to keep people in person, and to just navigate all the changes. But you're all doing it. You're keeping school open. You're keeping our kids educated. And we're bringing back community. And that's what we need maybe more than anything else. Speaking of community... Thanks and big shout out to our fearless Patreon members. They continue to help build this community. And if you're one of those members, you will be getting extra content with Bradley right after you hear this. He'll tell you his favorite food. He'll tell you what he's listening to. And he will give a great answer on pancakes versus waffles. That's only for our Patreon members. You'll be getting it in just a couple of hours after this show drops. And if you're not a Patreon member yet, Join the community. Join our growing, insurgent community of independents. You get exclusive access and events by becoming a member of the Independent Americans Patreon community. Just five bucks. You get access, you get community, you get connection and merch discounts and exclusive content like my extra segment conversation with Bradley Whitford. If you're a Bradley Whitford fan, if you're a fan of this show, go over and join us on the Patreon community. Thanks, of course, to the Fearless Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. They make this show possible. And be sure to check out Everybody and Their Mother Has a Podcast and The Firefighters with Rob Sarah, both powered by Righteous Media, just like this show. We've got new episodes of Everybody hitting every Wednesday, new episodes of my show every Thursday, and Friday, it's Rob Sarah. Because what Rob always says is when you're retired, every day is Friday. And they're all 100% free. Download them, spread the word, subscribe, and join the growing Righteous Media community. They're anywhere you get pods, and you can also, of course, check out Righteous.us. And if you love this show, please support us. Go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. Subscribe for free and share it with five friends. Do me a solid. Share it with five friends. Tag the five friends on social media, and I will give you a shout-out, and maybe I'll even give you a present. Because Independent Americans continues to hit the podcast charts, not just in America— but around the world. I checked it out this week for an update. We are number 37 now in political podcasts in Kuwait. Yes, number 37 in Kuwait. I was in Kuwait once on my way to Iraq. And we are number 73 in Costa Rica. Yes, Independent Americans is number 73 in political podcasts in Costa Rica. I was there once, too. Did some zip lining and some swimming and some exploring. Costa Rica is awesome. Big shout out to all our listeners in Costa Rica. We are also number 109 in political podcasts in Lithuania. Another place I went to once. I actually went to Lithuania for a bachelor party. I will not share that information here, but it did happen. And I was in Lithuania, so my thanks to my friends in Lithuania. And... We are also number 232 in Germany. I don't know why we're so low in Germany. I've been to Germany more times than any of the other countries. My grandfather's from Germany, but we are still making the charts number 232 in Germany. 
but Independent Americans continues to grow. So please help us fuel that growth. Find us on social media and check out independentamericans.us. You can see video of this conversation with Bradley. You can share that video with your friends who aren't into podcasts. And you can also get sharp Independent Americans gear on the independentamericans.us website. And if you find us on social media, you can also guess the guest every Wednesday. It's a game we play every single Wednesday on Twitter, on Instagram. Guess the guest and you will win a prize or at least a shout out here on the show. And this time for Bradley Whitford, a few folks got it. Just hours after I posted it, Joby Tabia got it. Joby Tabia, according to the Twitter bio, is just some rando with occasional opinions. Be a helper. And Joby lives in Narnia, apparently. Well, that's at least what the Twitter uh, bio says. Also a winner, BZIEG477. He or she is an 82nd Airborne vet and a history teacher. So big shout out to you. And Blake Wood correctly guessed Bradley Whitford also. Blake Wood is from District Proper. He has a great photo of his very cute dog on his profile on Twitter. But congrats to all of you. And if you want to be like them, you can play every Wednesday on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just look for the hashtag guest to guess or find independent Americans. America may be more divided than ever before, but we at Independent Americans are trying to change that. We're adding light to contrast the heat. And every episode and everything we do is going to bring the five eyes, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. If you're among the 40% of Americans who are independent or unaffiliated, this is definitely your show. If you're a Republican, a Democrat, a communist, whatever you are, if you're not a diehard partisan, this is also your show. If you're a Bradley Whitford fan or a Handmaid's Tale fan and you're new to this show, you are welcome here. This is your show. All are welcome. We invite you to join us and be a part of the community and a part of the solution. Please keep sharing the content and keep sharing the hope. Just like Bradley Whitford or like June Osborne in the show he stars in. Keep sharing the hope no matter what happens. And don't let the bastards get you down. Because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And that hope is critical in America, in Afghanistan, and around the world. It's how we keep this movement of independent Americans growing week by week by week. And we will stay vigilant because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And it's up to all of us to pay it in whatever way we can. Whether you're a high school teacher, you're an actor, or you're the secretary of defense, know you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant and we're all in this together. From secretary of defense Lloyd Austin to Bradley Whitford, to Joe B. Tapia, to the Amherst Mammoth football team, to you. All across this country, we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks so much for listening. And stay vigilant, America. America.